RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Joining me again on Reality Check Radio is the Washington correspondent for the Australian newspaper, Adam Crichton, who I was watching on Sky TV in the last few days. Adam, you were making an appearance, <laughs> updating yes. the Australian audience that Sky TV has on, on woke capitalism in the United States, which seems to be the epicenter of this whole ESG thing. I thought that was something you got in Chinese food, but it's environmental something in governance. So um, we're all aware of that from Budweiser, but this, from what you were saying, and you can maybe elaborate on that, seems to be right through corporate America now, sort of taken over. Yes, look, that's that's true. And um, look, I'm on Sky so much, I actually can't remember talking about that, but I certainly believe you. <laughs> I probably was. No, you were there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Could have been a deep fake. Uh, yeah, look, the, the Bud Light example is the iconic example now, and it is striking because up until that that fiasco, which I assume was earlier this year, sometime now, where you know they they uh, you know they paid the the uh, trans woman or whatever her name is, it escapes me at the moment. From Mulvaney. Uh, yes, that's right. That's right. Dylan, Dylan Mulvaney. Um, and then, you know, since then there was massive backlash and their stock price has, has tanked, their sales have tanked. And to my knowledge, that's the first time that there'd been such a consumer pushback against this sort of what I would call nonsense, uh, this, you know, pandering to left-wing pieties, which is basically what ESG is, let's, let's face it. I mean, I think it stands for... What is it? Environmental social governance, which doesn't even make grammatical sense. Actually, I wish they'd make their mind up with using nouns or adjectives. But anyway, it stands yep. for environmental social governance, um, and that was the first pushback. And since then, it's happened again. There was a Target, which is a big department store over here. They, uh, you know, did some. You know, I can't remember the details. I think it was children, a children's display, which was which was overtly. Uh, pro trans kids or something like that. Don't don't quote me on the specifics, but that also uh, prompted a huge pushback as well. So I think you're seeing a reevaluation in in uh, corporate America on the you know on the risks of these sorts of policies, these sorts of policies. And and actually, just about a you know maybe one or two weeks ago, the Wall Street Journal did an investigation on the on the uh, number of big firms that had. That had chief diversity officers or uh, chief uh, chief equity officers or something like that, and it had been it had fallen fairly uh, dramatically this year. Uh, so I think the bean counters, the CEOs, who ultimately, let's face it, they're just all about the bottom line and about uh, how big their bonus is going to be, and those bonuses are typically linked to sales and share price. So the last thing they want is falling share prices and falling sales. And so I think you're seeing a reevaluation of the risks of you know, of of overtly ESG stuff, at least the stuff that really irritates ordinary people. And I think those those examples I just mentioned are dim. It's interesting because Go Woke, Go Broke's been around for quite some time. You know, people have kind of understood that. And it, it um, it's amazing that such uh, large um, entities with long histories of doing business <clears throat> can misread so much their customer base, their market. Well, yeah. Well, look, I think I think a lot of it, and, and there was an academic paper. I think that's what I was talking about. Now I'm, I'm slowly remembering uh, the sky appearance. There was an academic paper came out a month or two ago uh, that tracked what big American corporations talk about in their annual reports from 1980 to now, every single year. So it was like an empirical uh, thing, and it was fascinating. Basically, you know, none of this ESG stuff was really mentioned at all until about 2000, and then. 
increased a bit to 2010 and then there was like a hockey stick at the end and it's just it's just a dramatically increased in terms of uh, the lip service at least that CEOs you know pay to these issues and it hadn't really hurt the vast bulk of companies and I think that's because it didn't really you know, get down to the well to the advertising side of things which is the you know the consumer facing side of their company I guess or indeed the products themselves it was just kind of in the corporate reports and let's face it most of us don't really care what's in corporate reports don't know it doesn't really matter uh, so I think they've gotten away with that but as soon as it actually uh, leads into the advertising or affects the advertising that's what people see they have to be more careful um, but the ESG stuff itself I mean to take a big step back you know kind of what what causes it is interesting um, you know one of the big factors I think is that most large companies are actually owned by fund managers, not by mum and dad shareholders anymore. It's the vanguards of the world, the black, black rocks rock. of the world. And they have huge stakes, uh, you know, in all of the big American corporations. And, of course, they vote with those shares. They don't actually own them. They hold them on behalf of investors. Uh, but those investors typically don't vote. They just let vanguard vote. They let BlackRock vote. I mean, personally, I think that's that's you know, that should be illegal. Uh, <laughs> that would be a big reform. But, um, you know, I don't see, you know, basically I think the ultimate owner should be the only one that votes on the with the shares, not the person holding it on their behalf. But anyway, that's not the way the world is. And so my point is that because, you know, so much of the shareholding rights are actually with a very small group of people, which are the fund managers, the Black Rocks and the Vanguards, that's kind of dictating the way big companies are behaving. Uh, because those entities want this ESG stuff for whatever reason, whether it's ideological. I think it's mainly ideological. Um, you know, I think it's political. I think it's highly political. I think the dominant, you know, the dominant ideology amongst you know, very wealthy fund managers and, you know, the Larry Finks of the world is, is this ESG stuff. And, and so they do want to force it on, on corporate America, whether they like it or not, and they have been doing so. Uh, yeah, he, he's on tape. Other- he's on tape. Even I've seen the clip of him yes. saying probably within the last year or so, that, yeah, we have to force behaviour. We force it. Yes. And, look, the other thing too, that's that's kind of, you know, from one end of the analysis. The other end of the analysis is I think uh, big corporations are very reluctant to risk being branded racist or sexist or anything like that in public by left-wing activist groups. Uh, so just quite aside from the vanguards of the world, uh, there's a lot of these left-wing groups out there. You know, you could even include the major political parties, the uh, Democrat Party in the US, that if they see anything supposedly racist or sexist, will will call it out, and that could be very damaging to a company's share price. And so, and so companies uh, tend to be, you know, very prudent and and to Limit. avoid anything that could be even perceived as sexist or racist, uh, because you're much less likely to have groups on the right, you know. This, ideologically, groups on the right tend to think businesses should be left alone. Uh, so they're not going to criticise them for their behaviour, uh, whereas groups on the left certainly will. <clears throat> so it I looks think like they might have flipped why. over a bit, though, now from the behaviour, right? <laughs> yes, um, yes, yeah. I think that's right. I think that's right. So, look, it's an interesting space to watch. I mean, Australia and uh, New Zealand, well, well I guess our, our retirement system is very different, but at least in Australia, the superannuation funds have big, big chunks, big voting chunks, of Australian companies, and they, you know, they basically perform the same function, I think, that the vanguards and Black Rocks do in the US. Uh, and it, similarly, I mean, superannuation in Australia is compulsory. It, its origins highly political. The Labor Party uh, created it, and a lot of those super funds are very indebted to the Labor Party. And so I think you find that they tend to vote on kind of political lines sometimes, uh, and that, that obviously has a big effect on, you know, on Australian company behaviour. 
Yeah, well, our government's just done a deal with BlackRock to fund sustainable zero carbon energy, apparently, but not many people are (laughs) believing that one. Okay, so that's interesting. So that trend will probably uh, carry on that way, and it might even be like a full-scale rejection at some point of this you way of doing that. business. Look, I mean, you know, I mean, I hope that's the case. It's probably not going to happen. I mean, I think it'll it'll kind of land somewhere in between. But I think it's been very, very useful in the last few months. I think it has, you know, it's put the fear of God. <laughs> that's a phrase they wouldn't like. Uh, put the fear of God into these companies. Um, you know, that if they do go too far, they can they can suffer massively financially. Well, when you see Kid Rock shooting a can of Budweiser with an AR-15, <laughs> and it gets like a hundred million views. Then um, you know you you it's back to the marketing department <laughs> at that point. Indeed, yeah. I mean you know, as you suggest, social media can you know can amplify trends so quickly uh, and dangerously that if something does, you know if if there is a groundswell of opposition to a certain advertisement, that it's that it's going to grow very quickly. So yeah. um, so it's another reason to be cautious. Okay, there there does seem to be a titanic left-right battle being played out right now. Uh, Well, probably all around the world, but particularly in the United States. Democrats on one hand, Republicans, but, you know, um, liberals versus conservatives, however you want to put it um, right now. Biden seems to be a mess. He thought the Grand Canyon was the ninth wonder of the world. (laughs) And uh, his behavior is sometimes bizarre. At a minimum, very sort of uh, patchy, you know, people say he's got uh, cognitive issues, et cetera. And um, Hunter Biden is kind of bringing his dad down, though you don't know who's 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 the driver in that, whether it's the son or the father. Then on the other hand, at the same time, you've got these indictments of Trump. Now, he's been saying a few things on his truth social platform that have been pretty strident, <laughs> pretty strong. And um, he's, uh, if, if, if all goes against him it's like 520 years in prison or something like that something ridiculous yes. like that so what what when you boil it down what's going on here is it uh, the two sides trying to cancel each other out with with each well, move that comes along <laughs> what, what are they I mean, trying I to think, do you know one could be too conspiratorial about this stuff i mean i think they're both great stories and they're both subject you know they're both worthy subjects of media attention I mean, as you suggest they're you know the Biden story related to his finances is is in my view kind of at the beginning of that story. Well, well, not the beginning, but but certainly it's it's becoming much more of a problem for Democrats in light of the recent revelations that have come out of this Republican control committee. You know, just this week we learned that if you add up all the payments since 2014, there's 20 million dollars of foreign payments have gone into Biden. All from dodgy people. All from, all from dodgy, dodgy people. people. I mean, from Romanians, from Ukrainians, Russians, and Chinese. Um, and Kazakhstanis, I think we just learned um, this week as well. And this has been going on both while, well, sorry, what's going on both while Biden was vice president and then after uh, during the four years when he wasn't in office. Uh, you know, this looks really, really bad. I mean, it's, it looks extremely bad. And look, the Democrats all week have been, have been saying there's no, there's no precise, you know, there's no actual uh, proof that this money went into Joe Biden's bank account. But, I mean, you'd have to say, well, of course it's not going to go into Joe Biden's bank account. He's not that stupid. I mean, he might be a bit thick, as you suggested earlier, but he's certainly not not stupid in that sense. So it's never going to, you know, so they're never going to find proof, so to speak. But there's so much smoke in relation to this that, you know, there's got to be fire. I mean, both in terms of the timing and the sheer volume of money and also the fact that, that the family has nothing to sell to these to these foreigners except for access. And, 
you know, why else were they paying? Why else were they paid twenty million dollars over all those years if not for access to policymaking? Um, so you know, it's going to continue. I mean, there's going to be more subpoenas of bank records, I think. And the Republicans are mulling having something called an impeachment inquiry, which isn't an impeachment, but it's 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 a way to gather together all the strands of evidence that there are so far, and there are a lot of strands. You lose track, actually. Um, uh, to investigate whether they should try to impeach. And, of course, they're not going to go anywhere because the Senate's controlled by the Democrats. Uh, so, look, it's just going to be a political a political impeachment if it if it does happen. Uh, but, you know, but just, just taking a step back, it's it's striking to me how, you know, the the, uh, the left-wing media here, you know, the mainstream media, which is 90% pro-Democrat uh, for various reasons, um, kind of ignores the story largely. They don't pay much attention to it. Um, when it's actually quite serious. I mean, if you think back to all the presidents since the Second World War, I can't think of any, I mean, in some of the cases, the kids were young, they were, they were children, but, you know, say even the Nixon kids, you know, were they, you know, selling access to their father for millions of dollars to foreigners? I mean, to say that just, just kind of highlights, you know, how shocking this is because, of course, they weren't. That would have been considered absolutely outrageous by the yeah. standards. Imagine if it was a Trump son. <laughs> Yes, yes, that's right. And they, you know, they weren't doing it. Sure, there is this, and, and you know, I tend to agree. I think Jared Kushner's fund got $2 billion after Trump left office uh, from the Saudis. You know, that's not a good look. I agree, but, and I'm not trying to defend it, but it wasn't while Trump was, was president. And also, you know, Kushner does have a business, a fund management business, whereas, you know, I don't really know what, what the Biden's business was, except just for taking money for being Biden's. So, I mean, I think it's probably worse, and I think I think more is going to come of it, uh, and the media is going to have to look at it more. Now, look, on the Trump side, I think we should talk about Trump a bit too. You know, we knew these indictments were coming more or less. Um, I mean, I was a bit surprised with the Jan 6 one. I didn't think that they'd do it in the end because there's just really not enough, at least in my non-legal mind, there doesn't seem to be enough evidence, I think, for these extremely grand crimes that have been alleged. Hmm. Um, that well, well, let's be, be honest, it never came to... The threshold of an insurrection that's just no no well, hyperbole isn't it i mean it's over the top always, well you know i made the point recently that the insurrection in russia that we saw from uh prigozhin whatever his name is you know that was an insurrection that's yeah, a, that's it involved arms use, soldiers, yeah that's a correct and, use of the word uh yeah, yeah. but i think to describe what happened on january 6 as an insur- insurrection a let alone one that was that was orchestrated by donald trump is completely absurd well considering just, he's on tape saying certain things which goes that go against that also we know that it does seem that there were agent provocateurs well, from government too, agencies clearly, i mean it's just there's there. so much footage i mean you know it was a riot that got out of control i mean surely that's that's just obvious but but you know the event obviously can be politicized greatly and it has been you know it's been kind of made out to be you know some sort of one of the worst events well, in history. Well, I, think I mean, Adam, it was a setup, really, wasn't it? Because yeah. now you've got the former police chief of the um, the Capitol Police talking to Hunter Biden in the last yes. week, saying that um, he he was told to stand down. It was like they 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 set the table, they prepared the yeah. ground for this to happen. Yes, uh, you meant talking to Tucker Carlson, but yeah, that's 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 right. Oh, sorry, what um, did I say? Yeah, no, that's fine. That's fine. Um, uh, yes, look, I think it's been exaggerated dramatically. And, you know, the issue is I think if this, this court case was was held in any other state, I think Trump would be fine. But the reality is it's going to be uh, held in D.C. here where 92% of people voted for Biden. Uh, so it's extraordinarily 
a bias. You know, that, but then again, they do need every single juror to agree. Uh, so, you know, you may well get one person or you know, a handful of people who, even if they don't like Trump, think that this is this is just a bridge too far in terms of prosecution. Um, so it's going to be very interesting. Uh, but, yeah, the, the indictment, um, the 45-page indictment that came out uh, last week, I mean, it's, you know, it's interesting reading. There's some fun anecdotes in there. But, but in terms of, uh, you know, the idea that it was a conspiracy to overthrow the election, I, I just think it's a stretch. But anyway, remains to be seen um, for what happens there. And, and, you know, the laws, I mean, I looked into it, the laws that the, the prosecutors are relying on, well, uh, uh, two of the four indictments, they're relying on the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, which was passed in 2002, and that was to stamp out accounting fraud. So that clearly had nothing to do with, okay. you know, with riots. And then the first charge is based on the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1867 or something, and that was to, uh, well, well, that was obviously related to uh, to attacking the Ku Klux Klan that clearly had nothing to do with, you know, riots at, at the Congress. So, so I think there's there's a lot of uh, legal, uh, you know, kind of stretching the law to to ensnare Trump here, um, and it remains to be seen how much jury uh, the jury agrees with that. But look, if it goes to the High Court, the Supreme Court rather, I mean, you know, I think it'd be kicked out surely. I mean, are they really going to imprison a former president over over fairly? Yeah, but could it stop him from well, running for the for no, office? No, is there, no, even no, while no, that's no, in no. process. No, no, it can't. There's, there's yep. nothing in the Constitution that stops him from running whatsoever. And if he won, uh, then he could pardon himself. The interesting question is <laughs> this that's fourth indictment, which is likely to come next week from Georgia. Now, that's a state. Uh, and, um, you know, that's that's going to be the fourth indictment next week. Is that uh, the phone the call he made to the Attorney General Which Which, I mean, it's kind of superfluous. I mean, really. I mean, obviously, it's it's the district attorney's chance in the sun in that state. This uh, woman called Fanny Willis, you know, she's going to become a celebrity through this, obviously. Um, but that, but the, the phone call, uh, that's that's all subsumed into the federal January the 6th indictment. So, so they're kind of two indictments for the same thing. But but the interesting point there is that Trump can't excuse it. Sorry, he can't pardon himself from state crimes. So, so if he did win the election, then he'd still possibly have to go to jail uh, somewhere in Georgia. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just, yeah, yeah, I, mean, I don't yeah. think it's going to happen. I mean, I mean, my just never visit the state, right? It yeah. just never, <laughs> never go there. Yeah, my best forecast is, is that Trump gets off all these charges ultimately. Um, because I mean, it could take years, though, years and years. But eventually, they'll be they'll be found not guilty. Could it uh, destabilize? Could it destabilize the country, though? Because this is really oh, surely ramping up, ramping up huge tensions between the two. Massive tensions, and uh, uh, all these all these hearings for these you know three and potentially four different indictments. Uh, they're all going to be throughout the primary season next year and the lead up to the presidential election in November. So, you know, it's going to be extremely disruptive. And, and it's not necessarily a great thing for, for Trump's Republican rivals because they're not going to get any oxygen. The whole thing is going to be focused on Trump's legal woes and, you know, how he responds to them. <clears throat> and so far, if you look at polls and betting markets, these indictments haven't made a scrap of difference to Trump's standing amongst Republicans, not yeah. a scrap. In fact, um, he can, in fact, he can not, use it, can't uh, he? He can, he can sort of leverage from it. That's right. That's right. And, you know, there's some interesting, you know, I, I thought, uh, I mean, I don't, I'm not condoning what, 
what Trump did in those last few weeks of his presidency, I think it was pretty crazy and, and he's kind of, you know, shredded his legacy to some extent. But, but you know, it's interesting to see the Secretary of State, uh, Blinken, attacking Russia for putting their opposition leader in jail, which is last week, and Navalny, I think, when that's kind of exactly what they're doing here or, or, or trying to do. <laughs> I mean, the circumstances might be different, but if you're just, if you're in some third country in Africa and you're looking at, at the two situations, you're not going to really see much difference. Uh, but essentially, they are, you know, they are similar. You know, basically, one party is putting a political leader that's opposition in prison. Um, yeah. So, yeah, not a great all for democracy. Then, it's all for democracy. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, anyway, it's yeah. Uh, yeah, it's certainly lots for us journalists to write about. <laughs> for sure. Now, on the um, international sort of um, front, foreign policy front, it looks like um, the Ukrainians have. Well, they're in a desperate situation, aren't they? Oh, I mean, half the people of I mean, population have left the country. Um, you know, there are tens of thousands of soldiers dead just in the last month or so, and they haven't even got close to defensive lines. They're losing. The US has been backing them. This must be becoming very awkward for the administration, is it? Oh, extremely, extremely. And not just the administration, but for the vast bulk of the media that have cheered this war on, massively cheered it on. Uh, I think they're going to look, you know, stupid at best. <laughs> I mean, and at worst, you know, basically encouraging the slaughter of young Ukrainians for, you know, for no, you know, for no good reason. Oh no, there's I organ just, harvesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So uh, look, just as we as we speak, a few hours ago, uh, Ukrainians have ordered the evacuation of twelve thousand people from various towns, but the Russians are advancing. Like this is supposed to be the great counteroffensive, and the Russians are advancing. So, I mean, as you suggest, this is just this is a complete disaster. And if you just had have looked at the relative sizes of the countries, uh, you would have realised that this was how it was going to ultimately work out. And all of this advanced US weaponry has not really made much difference. I mean, this this so-called counteroffensive has been going for two months, actually more than two months. I think it started on the fourth of June, and I think they've taken a few square kilometres. And those square kilometres, I'm sure, were just kind of open fields anyway. I mean, the Russians wouldn't have even wanted them. And and the reality is that the you know Ukrainian army is, as you suggest, they're just you know they're burning through thousands of their young men uh, being killed. And then once that's happened, what I imagine will happen is the Russians will then advance to the point that they wanted to, which I think are the other two kind of Russian-speaking areas of Ukraine, roughly. And then they'll kind of say, okay, that's it, we've finished. Um, so mm. anyway, that's just what I think is going to happen. And the administration hasn't said much this week at, about the war, and you know, no wonder. And even you know, the CNNs and the MSNBCs of the world, especially the latter, who just you know cheering it on so much through their just extraordinary hatred of Vladimir Putin, uh, as if that's the only thing that matters in foreign policy. Uh, you know, they're going to come to look wrong again. I mean, they're wrong on COVID massively, and they're going to be wrong on the war too. I mean, <laughs> just just so much wrongness in these institutions, but they but they but they still exist. They still thrive. Yeah, how do you spin that one to the people, to the US population who've been hearing well, solidly that all those things that you've just mentioned? Well, I guess they say we tried. Um, we you know, tried. Just, <laughs> I mean, I... They're supposed to be know, the most I mean, powerful military on the planet, Adam, and we tried. Look, well, well, I mean, it's... Yeah, I mean, it's, it is, uh, you know, the collective... West, if you like NATO, have you know have been providing a lot of a lot of material, which I'm sure in aggregate would be the 
you know, probably the equivalent of a, of a medium-sized European country's army, and, and it, it hasn't made any difference. Um, well, it's made some difference. It's probably slowed down. A lot more people have died on both sides. But there should have been more talk throughout about... Well, it could have ended with peace talks at any time, right? Any time. Mm. Uh, sorry? It could have ended with peace talks at any moment. Oh, of course, of course. And, you know, we know now that, that there have been at least one major opportunity to to have peace, and it was scuttled by the UK and the US kind of behind the scenes, which is pretty extraordinary. Um, so I think I think history is going to look going to look very badly on this on this episode. Uh, um, well, you, know, you can bet that the Ukrainians are going to be very angry having so many of the young man's men slaughtered uh, for nothing. Yeah, I know, and we've just seen reporting finally coming out of, of the you know uh, the mainstream press here that. There's all these rackets in Ukraine of wealthy, you know, wealthy people paying for their sons not to go and fight, which obviously completely undermines the absolute garbage that this is a popular war and everyone wants to go and fight. I mean, that's yeah, yeah that's been what we've been told for one and a half years, which I thought from the beginning is absolute garbage. I mean, just put yourself in that position, you know, as a you know forty year old in eastern Ukraine, you know, would you rather die, you know, to to basically. For, well, for Zelensky? Well, well, yeah, yeah, that's right. Or, that or creep. Be administered by Moscow instead of Kiev. I mean, is, is there a is there a huge practical difference in the eastern part of the country in being administered by one Russian speaking city over another Russian speaking city? I mean, I don't think it's great. Certainly, I wouldn't die for the difference. No. Um, so, I think this has been built into some sort of existential, you know, fascism versus. Um, democracy war like the second world war when it's nothing like that whatsoever um yeah anyway it's it's hard not to get angry about it um, to be honest because so many people have died so many young people have died well you've got a question also unnecessarily is there is there much questioning along with this other biden stuff because they're knee deep in ukraine as well joe and um and well, the this, with well, burisma I I mean, and and yeah. um joe getting the prosecutor looking at the burisma Burisma, whatever, um, oligarch, um, uh, he had the, with using a, a bargaining chip of a billion dollars in government or IMF aid, yeah. signing that off, getting rid of, I think it was Shokin, the prosecutor. Yes, These two are knee deep in it. Yes, look, it's it's extraordinary. I mean, of course, the you know Trump was impeached over a phone call to Zelensky that he made in 2019, uh, kind of asking him to look into this, uh, this allegation that, that Biden years earlier had, had got Shokin uh, fired, um, essentially bribed the Ukrainian government to to fire him with that billion dollars you mentioned. And look, obviously the Democrats deny that and say, oh, you know, it was just a coincidence, the timing, and you know, had nothing to do with it. But oh, really? I mean, Shokin himself uh, says that he was that, in his view, and he's I assume retired. He's a pretty old man, but just I think uh, fairly recently this uh, this interview of him's emerged on on social media, which I watched a few days ago. It's fascinating. It's quite long. It's with the French TV channel. And he says that, of course, it was Biden that got rid of him and and that he was looking into Burisma. And only uh, two weeks before he was fired, he'd seized the assets of the CEO of Burisma. And there's, you know, news stories showing that. Um, so, you know, the timing is, is very telling and very damning, I think. Uh, more to the point, he'd only been in office for a year, this prosecutor. So, so it's... So the Biden argument that he was somehow corrupt, you know, the, he hadn't been in office long enough to be corrupt. So I mean, it's I think, called projection. You know, I mean, it's called yeah, projection. So, so anyway, it's going to be interesting to see. And, you know, what you've got to wonder, and maybe this is getting too conspiratorial, but you, there must be more people in Ukraine that have more detail about this yeah. in the bureaucracy. 
And of course, maybe after this war, <laughs> I mean, who knows, but maybe people will speak out. I don't know. And and wasn't um, Joe in one of the calls with the Barisma? I forget the guy's name. Oh, yeah. Um, no, we all the do. guy who yeah, said well, that Hunter was dumber calls. than his dog. Well, well, I think that guy was was at dinner in, in Washington uh, back in 2015. Was, uh, um, yeah, and Joe Cafe was on Milano, the call, apparently, where, according to Devin Archer. Yeah, so the testimony from Devin Archer is very interesting, and not just that, but I recommend people listen to his interview with Tucker Carlson uh, that came out last week too. They're both very interesting. And, you know, Devin seems pretty honest, you know, kind of guy, uh, very likeable, actually, I think, to, to, to listen to him. Um, and, yeah, I mean, he basically suggests that, you know, Suggest he doesn't say explicitly, but reading between the lines, uh, you know that Biden did put uh, did put pressure on the Ukrainian government to get rid of Shokin. So, so you know, I, I encourage your your listeners to go and to go and watch it for themselves uh, because it, because it is very interesting. And just another thing, I don't know if you're up to speed on this, but a story that's just broken in the last uh, day or so related to that, and that is the uh, plight of Imran Khan, the former Prime Minister of um of Pakistan and of course well known here because yes. of his cricketing prowess back yes, in the day. Yes. Um I've I've seen him in action at our local base and reserve actually uh, back in the day. And um you know he's uh, obviously uh, quite a chap but he's been yeah. um he, he was ousted uh, through a vote of no confidence. He's since in contrast to Joe been put in prison for selling a couple of watches I think was what they said. But it seems he went to visit Putin the day before they launched their special military operation in February yes. 2022. And now there's some sort of document that's been found or a cipher cable that's been made public. Yes. Where it looks like the Americans, through the Pakistani military, insisted that um, there'd be trouble if Khan wasn't ejected yes. or remained as prime minister. So, boy, I mean, if that's true... This is full-scale well, meddling well, in international <laughs> politics, isn't it? And well, and if I was a Pakistani knowing that, I'd be furious. Well, the cable is is true. <laughs> it, it's been published by The Intercept, so we can all read it. And uh, certainly it does suggest that at the very least there was a lot of pressure put on. I mean, in diplomatic language, I mean, I can't remember the phrase. It was something like, you know, uh, something like, all will be forgiven if you get rid of, of yeah. Khan. I think it was yeah. something like that. That's what the US diplomat said, which is pretty strong language. And yeah, the, the Americans were furious that Pakistan was uh, was going to be neutral in the conflict, just as they're you know, probably angry with India as well. But I think historically, and you know, maybe I'm kind of stepping out of my expertise too much here, but I think historically, uh, the US has always felt that it had a stronger relationship with Pakistan than it, than it did with India, and and so it was miffed that they weren't going to go along with their foreign policy. And so yeah, and so it's you know it's just kind of it's kind of basic retribution really for Imran Khan who who remains, I think, very popular in Pakistan. And, you know, it's worth pointing out, it's such a massive country. I mean, it's 230 or 40 million people. I mean, that's just absolutely enormous. <laughs> it's, uh, so so it's, a, you know, it's a huge country. It's an important country. And sadly, now it's going to be racked by instability for quite some time, I would say. I mean, even if they do put Khan in jail, I mean, there's going to be protests, there'll probably be terrorism, things will be blown up. Uh, you know, that's, that's hardly a good outcome. Um, and I don't really, you know, I don't really understand why the US was so obsessed with with what Pakistan thought anyway. I mean, of the of the Ukraine war. I mean, I'm sure they weren't going to, you know, send weapons either way anyway. So it was just a, you know, it was just a status thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the big picture is it's a reminder the US meddles massively in other countries, massively, and it has done for decades. And I, I just find it 
absurd when they criticise other countries for doing, you know, for doing exactly that. I mean, of course, they're extremely critical of Russia, which, which apparently in 2016 bought a few Facebook ads that, that, that supported Trump. Well, if you and believe that. Stuff like, it, I mean, okay, well, who cares? I mean, you know, I mean, if your democracy cannot withstand a few Facebook ads, you know, uh, bought by a foreign country, then there's something wrong. I mean, it's not good, obviously, but it's it's hardly of the same level of interference. I mean, not even remotely. Um, so, so I think the US is extraordinarily hypocritical on all these issues. Well, well you life. possibly could argue, Adam, that the demonization of Russia through that whole Russia, Russia, Russia hoax, because it was shown to be yes. a hoax, yes, has been was. what has allowed the American Biden administration to continue the war, which has resulted in massive death. No, look, I completely agree. I mean, I, I don't have any evidence for this. I'm just really spouting off about what I think. But the yeah. Russia, Russia hoax, and it was the most extraordinary hoax in kind of US history, I would say, in terms of its damage to an incumbent president. It's, uh, you know, it generated so much hatred for Russia amongst Democrats because I think they still believe it's true. I think a lot of them actually do believe it's true, even though it's not, and there was no evidence for it. They still believe it's true, and so that that sheer hatred of uh, Vladimir Putin for for daring to swing the 2016 election to Trump is exactly what motivates uh, their uh, their prosecution of this war. I mean, these are people who, in many cases, were against the war in Iraq. I think rightly uh, so 20 years ago. But this war, they believe, is a just war because because the evil Vladimir Putin swung the 2016 election, where which of which there was absolutely no evidence of that whatsoever. Um, so, so anyway, so as you say, I think the hoax has actually killed thousands and thousands of people ultimately. Yeah. And uh, the Imran Khan point, I mean, you're, you're Australian, you're not in the country at the moment here in New Zealand. Uh, both our countries are supporting the US on Ukraine. We've put well, money into it. I'm sure well, the Aussies have, have too. Choice? Do you think they have Well, choice? that's what I'm thinking. If we said no, what happens? The Prime Minister gets taken out. Is that what happens? Well, I just think, I mean, you know, New Zealand probably has more license than Australia because it's not part of AUKUS and, and it's it's kind of, you know, barely barely in ANZUS anymore, I think, uh, depending on what you're, you know, kind of how that's... No, we're, we're all in, mate. We're all in. Oh, really? Yeah, we're all that's in with Ukraine. We've given money, really? you know, millions and millions to them. No, okay. All right. Where's well, that gone? No um, one knows. It's not accounted for. Well, look, I mean, I think, you know, the reality is with a resurgent China, Australia and New Zealand have, you know, been need the US probably more than any other US allies need the US uh, kind of in the long term. At least that's a perception. Uh, you know, I'm not saying whether I agree with it or not, but certainly that's the perception in, in you know, Wellington and Canberra. And so I think, you know, basically some extent a US foreign policy is our foreign policy uh, kind of on the big questions around the world. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's kind of no coincidence, but all the countries that have a dependent relationship on the US all just coincidentally happen to agree with it on you. Ukraine was yeah. the countries that don't are neutral. <laughs> so I mean, what does that tell you about? Yeah, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Well, something going yeah, on. I mean, it's so obvious. I mean, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> okay. Anything more that we should cover in our latest chat um, that we haven't yet? Anything else that's um, bubbling oh, away or worth a mention? No, look, I just no. I think that's about. I think that's a good wrap for the last few weeks. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's talk in a, right, a, well. another month or so. Adam sure. Brighton, it's great to catch up again with you. Um, Adam Likewise, from the Australian uh, Washington correspondent there. And um, we'll talk again soon, Adam. Thanks. Okay. Thanks very much, Paul. Speak soon. Bye bye. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.